the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. This program was originally broadcast live on 93.9 KPDQ. We hope you enjoy the show. Well, good afternoon and welcome to the Thursday edition of the Georgine Rice Show. James Blend is producing and engineering. Clark Hilton, he's a bit under the weather. I want to say a prayer for him. Today we're going to hear from Dr. Greg Jans. He's the author of Healing Depression for Life. That's coming up in the second hour of today's program. And uh, we're also going to take a look at um, what a pastor pointed out to me earlier today is the Global Middle Finger to End Christianity Day. I didn't know such a thing existed. But he has a message behind pointing that out. We'll share that with you in the five o'clock hour. Uh, in this first hour, we're going to wind our way through what has become a pretty big news day. A lot of things uh, happening, and I hope we'll have time to get to it all. But we'll start with how the CDC botched the Florida COVID numbers. The state's um, deputy health secretary responded. And in fact, the CDC had to revise the numbers. I mean, there was a lot of political hay being made about the numbers in Florida. Well, the deputy health Sec- secretary, Dr. Shamare uh, Shamariel Robertson, uh, she reacted to the CDC's inaccurate data regarding coronavirus infections in the state during an appearance on um, uh, national news on Wednesday night. Well, last Sunday, the CDC recorded a number, 28,000 plus new cases of COVID-19, until the Department of Health in Florida noticed that that was nearly double the actual number. And again, a lot of political hay was made. The CDC agreed to meet the department in the middle and revise the number to 19,000 after reportedly rolling several days worth of numbers into one. Well, the uh, official, the uh, deputy health secretary from Florida, said that getting the data right is of grave importance. It's very important that data is accurate. The people of Florida, they deserve it. We've been uh, putting out accurate data since the beginning of the pandemic. Well, Robertson, she explained that the Department of Health operates out of an integrated public health system where its personnel are responsible for sharing daily case information with the CDC. She said after recognizing Sunday's information was blatantly incorrect, the department had a conversation with the CDC to roll back its mistake. And other developments, Sean Hannity slams Biden for hypocrisy at the southern border where uh, testing is not being done routinely. And Australia's capital city plans to enforce snap lockdowns after one new COVID case there. The Virginia School Board approved the controversial transgender policy opposed by parents. A Northern Virginia School Board voted Wednesday to approve the policy expanding the rights of transgender students and contracting the rights of others. In what was seen as a victory for LGBTQ advocates, the Loudoun County School Board approved the policy by a 7-2 to two vote following hours of debate and after minor amendments were made. The LCPS number one priority is to foster the success of all students and ensure they feel safe, secure, accepted and ready to learn at school. That's what the school board statement said. The school division will continue to do its due diligence in creating that environment and remaining open and transparent with all the LCPS partners, community members and stakeholders. 
end quote. Well, policy 8040 requires teachers to use preferred pronouns and allows gender expansive and transgender students to participate in sports and other activities in a manner consistent with the student's gender identity. In other words, their personal preference. On Wednesday, school board member Jeff Morse denounced the guidelines. Uh, the policy is not needed. The policy does not solve the issues that it purported to solve. The policy has forced our focus out of education, and I will not support it. What that means on the ground, not yet clear. In other developments, the parent arrested at the Virginia school board meeting praised a teacher's courageous resignation over critical race theory. And Loudoun County residents held their own school board meeting after the district changed the speech, uh, rather the speaking rules. Well, the Virginia... A school board sees a contentious and emotional meeting as it weighed gender-related policies now having made their decision. Well, the nation's police officers are not getting enough support, a former Chicago superintendent said, stating the obvious. The send-off of fallen Chicago police officer Ella French was reportedly rushed by the department's number two official and former Chicago police superintendent Gary McCarthy, reacting on Wednesday that this reflects a nationwide lack of support for police officers from government leaders. The officers here at CPB, Chicago Police Department, and probably across the country, feel under attack by politicians and the public, McCarthy said. Um, most of them feel like they're not being supported by their leadership. We're not waiting to um, waiting on the bab, uh, bagpipes because we don't have 20 minutes for this. Chicago's first deputy police superintendent, uh, Eric Carter, reportedly told officers conducting the Saturday night send off for French. Chicago Mayor Lori Lightfoot then reportedly backed Carter's decision after initially insisting during a news conference that the reports were false. The mayor explained that there was no honor guard present during the ceremony and a group of well-meaning people planned to hijack the procession. McCarthy told uh, the story that he was not sure Carter's order was necessary. He also noted that the superintendent called French by the wrong name, further discouraging the officers. A Chicago alderman says the Chicago Police Department has lost 1,000 officers in just a few years. The city does not support them. And the mother of two brothers who have been charged in the fatal shooting of the Chicago police officer, Ella French, has been arrested. A Democrat leader has uh, called burning a police precinct a revolutionary moment and an act of pure righteousness. And Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez is backing a group that honored convicted cop killers, and it gets worse. Governor Cuomo's successor, Kathy Hochul, uh, says the the 14-day transition period was not what she asked for. And President Biden won't release Delaware visitor logs despite 17-trip home. Apparently it's conventional to make that information available, so the public knows who the president has been talking with. Well, a new Fox poll showed that more Democrats favor socialism over capitalism in a sharp reversal from just a year and a half ago. The poll taken between the 7th and the 10th of this month showed that 59 percent of registered Democratic voters who participated had a positive view of socialism compared to just 49 percent who felt that way about capitalism. In February of last year, when the question was last asked, 50 percent of Democrats who participated said they have a favorable view of capitalism with just 40 percent saying this 
the same about socialism. The polls showed that 44% of Democrats had an unfavorable view of capitalism and 31% had a negative view of socialism. Of the Republicans polled, 67% viewed capitalism favorably and 8% had a favorable view of socialism. The trend towards socialism among Democrats comes at a time when members of Congress, such as self-described Democratic socialists, Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and Senator Bernie Sanders and others, have had a growing influence on Democratic politics. Sanders, as chair of the Senate Budget Committee, has been leading a charge to pass the $3.5 trillion budget reconciliation bill that he says is aimed at addressing wealth inequality. That bill would provide for government-funded programs such as tuition-free pre-K and community college, as well as the expansion of Medicare, which Sanders ultimately would like to be changed to a universal socialized health care. This is on top of the bipartisan $1.2 trillion infrastructure bill that the Senate recently passed. Senator Marsha Blackburn, a Republican from Tennessee, has said even that um, that is a gateway to socialism and a down payment to the Green New Deal. Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas announced Thursday that the Border Patrol agents apprehended over 212,000 undocumented migrants in July, breaking the 200,000 threshold for the first time in 21 years. We'll tell you more about that when we return in just a moment. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. We're back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Coming up in our second hour, we'll hear from Dr. Greg Jantz. He's the author of Healing Depression for Life. That's coming up right at the top of the hour, the second hour of today's program. Well, Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas announced today that Border Patrol agents apprehended over 212,000 undocumented migrants in July. And that broke the 200,000 threshold for the first time in 21 years, according to the U.S. Customs and Border Protection data. Well, during a stop at the border in Texas, he commented that 212,672 migrants were encountered in the month of July alone a 13% increase over the influx of 188,000 encountered in June. Now, he acknowledged that the rapidly deteriorating situation at the border constitutes a crisis, calling it one of the toughest challenges we face. And I would add that we've created. He added that 95,788 of those detainees, mostly single adults rather than families, were expelled under the Trump-era Title 42 authorizing border officials to deport migrants suspected of positive COVID-19 infection who could pose a public health risk. This, however, represented a 10,000-person decrease in the number of migrants who removed um, under this measure in June. Well, while conceding that the statistics are daunting, Mayorkas offered that the border emergency is not a black and white issue, adding it is uh, complicating, changing, and involves vulnerable people at a time of a global pandemic. Well, the administration previously predicted that the number of migrant encounters would drop off during the hot summer months, as is typical, but that has not been the case. Women are being taken by Taliban fighters as Afghanistan is melting down from the story of a generation of Afghan women who have taken their place in society over the last 20 years since the United States arrived and has now left are now watching that space shrink before their eyes. They've entered public life as lawmakers, local governors, doctors, lawyers, teachers and public administrators working for two decades to help create a civil society and generate opportunities for those who come after them. 
Well, now the Taliban is going door to door in some areas, compiling lists of women and girls aged 12 to 45 for their fighters to forcibly marry. Women are again being told they cannot leave the house without a male escort. They cannot work, study or dress as they please. Schools and colleges are being shut and businesses destroyed. The exodus of those who can afford to flee the country is growing by the day. National Review points out last month, President Biden asserted, do I trust the Taliban? No, but I trust the capacity of the Afghan military, who is better trained, better equipped and more re more competent in terms of conducting war. That's a direct quote. Yet since Friday, the Taliban has won control of well over half of the country, including nine of its 34 provincial uh, capitals. Ten days ago, that was not the case. A number expected to rise in the coming days. The Taliban stepped up its um, attack after Biden announced the plan to withdraw in April, but it has only started to retake major cities such as uh, Kunduz as of August the 31st. Um, the deadline for completion of the U.S. exit approaches. The Washington Post reported that the Pentagon assesses Kabul could fall within 90 days. Some officials, and that, of course, is the capital. Some officials uh, predict that'll happen within a month um, rather than 90 days, which would coincide with the 20th anniversary of the September 11th attacks. And you recall the reason we were in Afghanistan was because of what happened on September 11th, 2001. Political points out that where he once insisted that two decades of U.S. backing had left Afghan forces capable of defending themselves, President Biden and his aides have shifted to a more cold-blooded mantra, if they can't, that's not our problem. Well, after all the rape, murder, and mayhem, White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki says the Taliban also has to make an assessment about what they want their role to be in the international community, as if they care about their role in the international community. Meanwhile, the Texas Department of Family and Protective Services says gender transition surgery is child abuse. From that story... The Texas Department of Family and Protective Services on Wednesday confirmed that gender transition surgery on children constitutes child abuse days after Governor Greg Abbott asked the department to issue a determination. Genital mutilation of a child through reassignment surgery is child abuse. Commissioner Jamie Masters wrote in a letter to the governor, this surgical procedure physically alters a child's genitalia for non-medical purposes, potentially inflicting irreversible harm on children's bodies, end quote. An Atlanta mother who shocked was shocked rather to discover that her school segregates children by race. She's a black mother. The principal who initiated the plan is a black uh, uh, individual. And this Atlanta school was at the center of debate over desegregation years ago. But the story explains the decision was made by black elementary school principal Sharon Briscoe. Uh, She found out about the segregation when the mother, when she asked Briscoe to place her child with a teacher who she thought would be a good fit. She recalled to the news outlet, she said, that's not one of the black classes. The mother immediately said, what does that mean? She was confused. She asked for more clarification. Mother says, I was like, we have those in the school. And she proceeded to say, yes, I have decided that I'm going to place all of the black students in two classes. She recounted of her conversation with the principal. She is now suing the school that has remedied, rectified the situation, but did not explain um, uh, how they were going to prevent this from happening in the future. And all of the key players, including the principal, are still in the school's employ. A Chicago alderman says there are 1,000 fewer cops than two years ago. And the Wall Street Journal, rather, declares inflation 
is here. Well, if you've been to the grocery store or a retail outlet, you already know that. But from the story, notably, the core CPI that strips out volatile energy and food prices increased 0.3 percent in July and 4.3 percent over the last 12 months. Prices last month rose for most goods and services, including toys, 0.4 percent, pet products, 1.4 percent, haircuts, 2.2 percent. Rents climbed 0.4% and have been accelerating. Food prices surged 0.7%, while restaurant meals rose 0.8% and most since 1981. None of this is any surprise to Americans who have visited a supermarket or eaten out lately. Labor costs are rising as businesses have to raise wages to attract workers who can make more unemployed. The result? Higher prices. Wall Street Journal writes, as Democrats want to continue to see spending skyrocket, they'll need some Republicans on their side to get that debt ceiling raised. We'll follow that story over the next uh, couple of weeks. Republican and Democrat senators teamed up on the bill to rein in apps of Apple and Google. From the story, Democratic Senators Richard Blumenthal of Connecticut and Amy Klobuchar of Minnesota teamed up with Republican Senators Marsha Blackburn of Tennessee to sponsor the bill, which would bar big Apple stores from requiring app providers to use their payment system. It would also prohibit them from punishing apps that offer different prices or conditions through another app store or payment system. Well, John Stone Street writes that if Nike had their way, Olympic superstar Allison Felix would have aborted her baby. He writes, throughout the pregnancy, Felix faced intense pressure from her sponsor. After she opted to keep her baby, Nike, her corporate sponsor, pushed a new deal that included a 70% pay cut to her previous contract with no maternity exceptions. The sports brand wagered that Felix's performance would falter as she bounced back and forth from competing to pregnancy to juggling motherhood. Felix spoke out. Uh, challenging the double standard that exists in women's athletics for moms. Nike has since restructured how it works with mothers after Felix challenged the double standard. Guy Benson points out uh, the implication here uh, about Nike is despicable. Not that I'd be surprised by much of anything from that company at this point. Well, Hunter Biden says Russian drug dealers stole another of his laptops. My first advice, I think, to Hunter Biden would just be get rid of the laptops. You have too many of them and they have incriminating information. Anyway, caution, the Daily Mail story could be used to more um, uh, appropriate uh, picture editing. But from the story, the alleged incident would mean Hunter lost a total of three computers, the first abandoned at a Delaware computer store and the second seized by federal agents, each likely to hold sensitive information on President Joe Biden and the embarrassing pictures, videos and communications of his son. The third laptop still appears to be missing and was taken by Russian drug dealers after they partied with Hunter in Vegas. He told a prostitute in a conversation caught on camera. Liz Wheeler says, remember that time Twitter and Facebook censored Hunter Biden laptop stories before the election, claiming it was fake news? All the while, Hunter Biden admits in a, well, unsavory video that the Russians stole another laptop from him in 2018 for blackmail. Allie Beth Stuckey says, never forget that Hunter Biden said the N-word in a text to his lawyer and the anti-racists in the media went about their merry way. Stanford University announced all students will be tested weekly, even the vaccinated. What can you expect from a university that has a a tree as their mascot? Eh, Something to think about.
Hey, you're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We need to take a quick break, but I want to remind you coming up in the first segment of the second hour, we'll hear from Dr. Greg Jantz, Healing Depression for Life. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, we're back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. President Biden has asked OPEC to up their oil output while at the same time suffocating U.S. energy production. It's that new math, I guess. A judge has ruled the House can subpoena some but not all of former President Trump's taxes. And common sense part one, the Senate passes an amendment preventing federal funds from promoting critical race theory in schools. Common sense part two, the Senate adopted an amendment to provide the Internet to the Cuban people. Well, I guess it's the least we can do these days. Well, they're calling it Bidenflation. Real hourly pay suffers one of the worst collapses ever. Transitory inflation is fading, but sticky inflation is growing. Well, in a classic warning shot, the Senate votes to back a transportation ban on COVID-positive migrants. And the NSA quietly awards a $10 billion cloud contract to Amazon, drawing protest from, well, Microsoft. Belarus has revoked consent for a U.S. ambassador while demanding embassy staff cuts. And California has become the first state to require a vaccine or regular COVID testing for teachers. The Washington Post attacked Facebook for insufficient censoring of conservatives. This is the Washington Post. And a judge is set to begin key, a key hearing in the Boy Scouts bankruptcy case. Tunisia was the only success story of the Arab Spring, and now its democracy is in jeopardy. Well, taking a look back this day in history, 1909, the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, home to the Indianapolis 500, first opens. 1937, President Franklin Delano Roosevelt nominates Hugo Black to the U.S. Supreme Court. 1939, the MGM movie musical The Wizard of Oz, starring Judy Garland, has its world premiere at the Strand Theater in Wisconsin, three days before opening in Hollywood. 1944, during World War II, Joseph P. Kennedy Jr., eldest son of Joseph and Rose Fitzgerald Kennedy, is killed with his co-pilot when their explosives-laden Navy plane blows up over England. 1953, the Soviet Union conducts a secret test of its first hydrogen bomb. 1981, on this day in history, uh, one, um, or rather, IBM introduces its first personal computer, the Model 5150, at a press conference in New York. What a distance we've traveled since. 1985, the world's worst single aircraft disaster occurs as a crippled Japan Airlines Boeing 747 on a domestic flight crashes into a mountain, killing 520 people. There were four survivors. On this day in history, 2013, James Whitey Bulger, the feared Boston mob boss who became one of the nation's most wanted fugitives, is convicted in a string of 11 killings and dozens of other gangland crimes, many of them committed while he was said to be an FBI informant. While Bulger is sentenced to life, he would be fatally beaten at a West Virginia prison in 2018, hours after being transferred from a facility in Florida. And finally, on this day in history, 2017, a car plows into a crowd of people peacefully protesting a white nationalist rally in Virginia College town of Charlottesville, killing 32-year-old Heather Heyer and hurting more than a dozen others. The attacker, James Alex Fields, would be sentenced to life in prison on 29 federal hate crime charges and life plus 419 years on state charges. 
Well, the Senate passed the 2,702-page long infrastructure bill Tuesday that contains a whopping $1.1 trillion in spending. The bill will now move to the House of Representatives, which will consider it in September. Well, following months of negotiations, 19 Republicans and all 50 Democrats supported the package. The 19 Republicans, I won't bother to mention all of their names. You might be able to guess them. Uh, this bipartisan vote might give the impression that the legislation lands somewhere in the middle, the way most infrastructure bills do. But that would not be the case. Could not be farther from the truth. In fact, the bill gives big wins to the left on a variety of fronts. It tees up partisan, uh, the partisan $3.5 trillion social spending package that Nancy Pelosi declared months ago would not um, uh, be considered unless or until the $3.5 trillion social spending package, once called a uh, an infrastructure, human infrastructure package, is passed. And Republican support of bigger deficits just um, before the debt limit fight. The Congressional Budget Office has estimated that the bill would increase deficits by $256 billion. This is actually generous since that doesn't count a $118 billion bailout of the Highway Trust Fund. That means the bill would actually add at least $2,900 per household to the national debt. Considering that the debt is already more than 220000 per household and rising, this is a perfect example of financial irresponsibility from our national leaders. Nothing particularly new. It embeds leftist social justice and climate concepts into the infrastructure, which is traditionally about practically uh, practicality rather than um, the sentimentality or fads. However, the bill would make a variety of progressive causes part of federal policy, such as an obsession with equity, providing special treatment for disadvantaged groups, establishing a new bureaucracy to increase the number of female truck drivers, the hyper woke Uh, Digital Equity Act, which includes expanding Internet access for prisoners. The bill would also spend tens of billions uh, on subsidizing electric vehicles and charging stations, electric buses, electric ferry boats, green energy production, mandating reports on climate change and even half a billion dollars to try to cool down pavement in cities. Yet again, progressive activist groups are demanding dramatic spending increases in the future, which will be much easier once the climate related progress programs rather are established. It would enable an anti-car agenda. America is an enormous nation with an average population density much lower than places like China, Europe and Japan. As such, cars and roads are the best way to provide for the vast majority of our transportation needs. However, the left has a long-standing agenda of wanting to pry Americans away from their automobiles, regardless of what's practical. While many programs included in the infrastructure bill are designed to promote that agenda, since federal programs and initiatives almost always expand over time, allowing these provisions to take root is, uh, well, an idea that will have its... um, Expansion. They include federal funding of local projects that involve traffic calming. This is closely related to a concept of road diets, which Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg has endorsed. That means deliberately slowing traffic and creating congestion. And while the bill does not directly impose a federal miles traveled tax on cars, it does provide $125 million towards studies and pilot projects to encourage state governments in that direction. $1 billion for a reconnecting communities program that would tear down highways and urban areas. The Biden administration's infrastructure plan called for $20 billion and a variety of activist groups are already demanding more. Politicians often inaccurately cite crumbling roads and bridges to justify infrastructure spending. But in this case, crumbling roads would be the goal. 
Well, giving as large a share of new spending to mass transit and intercity rail as it uh, does to highways, even though transit and rail account for a minuscule share of national travel, doesn't matter. Activists demand that highways and transit receive equal funding, and the Senate bill is uh, a big step in that direction. And there's also more power for Washington in that $1.1 billion, or excuse me, trillion dollar package. For over a century, one of the core goals of the progressive movement has been expanding the size and scope of the federal government. That's taken on many shapes and sizes. In some cases, it means Washington's taking responsibility for things that are normally controlled at the local level. The Senate bill spends $55 billion on local water systems, which in many cases will mean bailing out city governments that neglected one of their core duties. In other cases, it involves Uncle Sam cutting checks to state governments with many strings attached. Um, The Senate infrastructure bill creates dozens of programs where Buttigieg and the Transportation Department bureaucrats get to decide how to distribute over $100 billion worth of infrastructure grants. Buttigieg has uh, emphasized that he will prioritize progressive goals related to race and equity in such decisions. The most insidious of all is when the federal government elbows its way into the private sector. The Senate does um, bill does so in two key ways, energy and in broadband. Um, a combined $138 billion would go toward a variety of subsidies, mandates, and government-operated enterprises competing with private providers. And engorging the federal leviathan is not just a problem for limited government conservatives. Reducing the power of state and local governments turns federal elections into winner-take-all competitions. And rather than attempting to impose a single vision across 50 states and thousands of municipalities, Americans would be better off under the foundational principles of federalism, which is what we have known. Number six, the nail in the coffin of the user pays principle. Historically, it's been understood that people who use infrastructure ought to be the ones responsible for paying for it. We see that in the form of things like highway tolls, utility fees and airport charges that are part of the plane fares. Well, this common sense approach can serve to prevent bad infrastructure projects from getting started, since if nobody wants to pay for it, it shouldn't get off the ground. However, Uh, The left has steadily inserted a series of non-highway programs into the Federal Highway Trust Fund, which is fueled primarily by the federal gas tax. Every year, billions of dollars are diverted toward transit, bike paths, streetcars, sidewalks and ferries at the expense of the nation's drivers. And if you've been on the roads, you can see how and where. Well, the Senate infrastructure bill would expand this flawed approach by funding new infrastructure spending with a non-infrastructure source Uh, Many of which are sources, I should say, many of which, such as the Strategic Petroleum Reserve and Spectrum auctions, are um, uh, tired budget gimmicks. Well, providing a bipartisan blessing to non-user infrastructure funding threatens to open the floodgates in future years, especially for the types of high-priced, low-demand boondoggle projects that activists adore. Even these uh, items don't cover all the problems in the 2,702-page monstrosity that, as I've read over the last several weeks, most of the members did not read. It's difficult to express how far left the Senate infrastructure bill would move policy permanently, uh, which is why it's imperative for the House to pump the brakes uh, when they take up the bill in September. I'm not holding my breath, but one can always hope. 
Well, the president wants to um, unionize the country, but the question is, do American workers want that? Well, as part of his Build Back Better agenda, the president signed an executive order last week intended to boost auto manufacturing in the United States. Okay, no problem there. The order plans to inject some $3 billion into the U.S. auto industry to ensure that one in two new cars sold in 2030 are zero emission vehicles and to grow good paying union jobs at home. That means non-union jobs are not part of that package. In reality, this order is a gift to union leaders at a time when more and more workers are turning away from union representation. Hey, you're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We'll be back in a moment. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, we're back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Coming up in the next hour of our program, we'll hear from Dr. Greg Jantz. He's the author of Healing Depression for Life. Well, the U.S. assesses that the capital of Afghanistan could fall to the Taliban within the next 90 days. In fact, that has been um, reduced to some 30 days as a, a possibility. Um, just weeks before President Biden plans to completely withdraw U.S. troops from the region following nearly two decades of war. The Taliban seized three more Afghan provincial uh, capitals and a local army headquarters on Wednesday, attaining control of two-thirds of the nation. The sources said that the intelligence regarding Kabul's security has been dire for some time. Pentagon officials said that the intelligence community updated its assessment of Afghanistan after the Taliban conquered nine provincial capitals in recent days. A CIA assessment months ago said Kabul could fall in six months. However, officials say now at this point that prediction has been cut in half. But one U.S. official says that while Kabul could be surrendered um, or rather surrounded in the next month, he expected a, a protracted civil war to break out and the capital not to fall to the Taliban for several months, saying that most of the 300,000 U.S. backed Afghan forces will rally around the capital. The Taliban's spiritual home of Kandahar in southern Afghanistan appears to be one of the next provincial capitals in danger of falling and the uh, limited U.S. airstrikes in Afghanistan by drones, B-52 bombers and AC-130 gunships in recent days have been concentrated in Kandahar in what officials call a last-ditch attempt to keep the city from falling to the Taliban. Officials also say that the Afghan special forces are concentrated in the south defending Kandahar and are the only ones qualified to call in American airstrikes. At this point, Afghan special forces are in short supply in northern Afghanistan, one of the reasons why uh, there have been so few U.S. airstrikes there. But U.S. officials said dropping bombs on crowded provincial Uh, Capitals in the north already seized by the Taliban increases the risks of civilian casualties. Meanwhile, Jen Psaki, the White House uh, spokesperson, insisted that the Afghan forces have what they need to battle surging uh, Taliban forces. So far, we haven't really seen that um, to be the case. The White House insisted yesterday that the forces have all that they need. uh, And the U.S. assesses the capital of Afghanistan and the fact that it could fall. The Pentagon is preparing for a possible evacuation of U.S. embassy in Kabul, Afghanistan, with fears that the Taliban may overrun the compound in the coming days, according to The New York Times. As the um, militant organization makes significant gains, capturing 10 provincial capitals across the country, the State Department uh, is expected to reduce embassy staff and is considering relocating its outpost 
to the Kabul airport. A number of sources are saying. Meanwhile, the Pentagon is moving Marines into position to cover the evacuation of staff, as intelligence reports suggest that uh, the Taliban may launch an assault within 30 days. The Western diplomatic um, source says that temporarily moving the U.S. embassy to the airport is the most probable course of action. A small staff will reportedly remain at Kabul embassy while the rest are shifted away from the city center. In addition, U.S. military is reportedly trying to evacuate thousands of American citizens and Afghan interpreters from the capital. The Taliban's advancement comes as U.S. forces have formally withdrawn from the war-torn territory at the direction of the president. The president confirmed at a recent press briefing that the U.S. would continue to send air support and food supplies to help the Afghan army fight the battles against the Taliban enemy, but would refrain from directly intervening. A recent U.S. intelligence assessment warns that the Taliban could take over Kabul again in the next 30 days, 30 to 60 days, and gain full control of the nation in just months. Some 3,000 troops are expected to be sent to Afghanistan. Well, parents across um, the country are revolting against school boards on masks, on critical race theory and gender issues. Loudoun County recently passed a policy that requires teachers to use preferred pronouns. And that's just one example of the uh, back and forth that we've seen across the country. Well, the left leaning agendas are descending onto school districts across the country. They're being met with intense resistance from parents concerned about the impact on children. The pandemic gave them an opportunity to look in on what their children are being taught and perhaps be more uh, aware of the course that's being uh, suggested for the past few months. The, the uh, country has seen protests and charged public meetings with comments opposed to critical race theory, masking rules and gender related policies. On Wednesday, as I mentioned earlier, the Loudoun County School Board in Virginia approved a gender related policy with provisions that had been inspiring uh, conflict for months within the county. Policy 8040, which the school board overwhelmingly approved, requires teachers to use preferred pronouns and allows gender expansive and transgender students to participate in sports and other activities in a manner consistent with the student's gender identity. I am so shocked, says one father. Um, uh, there are fathers on this school board who support policy 8040. As a father, you are in a role that is supposed to be protective of children's privacy, modesty and safety. Well, the tiny minority of students who do not feel comfortable or safe in spaces with people of the same sex should be accommodated with a third neutral space rather than violating the basic rights of the majority of students. Well, the issue came to a head in May when one teacher objected to the policy, prompting his dismissal and an ongoing legal battle yet to be resolved. But even before that, Loudoun was one of the most uh, prominent school districts with parents fighting back against critical race theory. With their fight, several other localities saw parents' revolts as well. Uh, One mother, Nicole Solis, in Rhode Island has been sued in response to copious public records requests she made in relation to critical race theory in her district. As students return to school, they'll also have to uh, deal with various public health requirements for combating the coronavirus. Earlier this week, a school board member in Oklahoma went so far as to say kids could commit murder by not wearing masks. She later apologized, but her comments seemed to reflect ongoing tension over one of the most hot-button topics of the pandemic. 
In Tennessee, parents reportedly argued that schools didn't have the power to mandate whether their children wore masks. Parents should be allowed to choose what they want and how their children go to school, one parent uh, said. Another in Mississippi similarly saw backlash as it decided to implement a new mask policy. The choice belongs to the parent and legal guardians. As a parent, I make the medical decisions for my children, not the school district. Well, parents have also supported these various initiatives. For example, one Loudon commenter uh, who identified as Charlotte McConnell spoke in support of provisions like 8040. As she spoke, she held up a sign that read, We can disagree and still love each other unless your disagreement is rooted in my oppression and denial of my humanity and right to exist. McConnell claimed to have been abused multiple times by straight white men. Well, that said... These are the battle lines that have been drawn and into which students all across the country will be returning to classrooms. Might be time to pray. I don't know what you think. Anyway, we've got news and traffic coming up here at the top of the hour. Uh, when we return, we'll hear from Dr. Greg Jance. He's the author of Healing Depression for Life. And we'll also hear uh, more about global middle finger to end Christianity today and what one local pastor has to say about the times we're living in. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to the final segment of the Georgine Rice Show. I recently received an email from Pastor Greg Allen at Bethany Bible Church. Are you ever, you know, told about something that you kind of wish you didn't have to hear about? Well, I appreciated so much him sending me this email because it brought attention to, well, what day this is for some atheists around the country, but also some important elements of what it means to be a follower of Christ and to be faithful to the end, which thankfully we'd have the Holy Spirit to uh, to help us uh, do that. Well, Pastor Greg writes this. I don't know how seriously to take this. Not very seriously, I suspect. But I was surprised to find out that August 12th has been set aside as Global Middle Finger to End Christianity Day. Well, the Facebook post reads at 2 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time on August the 12th, everybody give a big middle finger to the sky to end Christianity and create more atheists while fighting the global prayer so their sky daddy won't snatch us up, end quote. Well, the post doesn't explain how doing this will either create more atheists or end Christianity, nor is it explained, he writes, quite frankly, why God would be affected by this in the least. After all, isn't he the creator of that finger? Well, Pastor Greg goes on. Ordinarily, I'd consider this to be just another piece of social media nonsense to be ignored. But it comes a few days after a group of Antifa activists crashed in on a prayer meeting that was being held in Portland's Tom McCall Waterfront Park last Saturday, taking over the mic to shout blasphemies before smashing the sound system and throwing it into the river. It has reminded me of a conversation I had with a good Christian brother recently. And by the way, that good Christian brother happens to be my husband, Dan Rice. As we were driving around together, we ended up talking about the times we were living in. We both believe very strongly that we shouldn't be too dogmatic about identifying the prophetic times, but we both agreed that these times we're living in are unusual. We wondered if we were living in what the Bible calls the falling away. Well, the Greek word that is used for that falling away is apostasia or apostasy, which refers to the act of being led away or drawn off the path. As we chatted, we observed that such a name seems fitting for the times we're living in. So many who once professed a faith in Jesus have been led away from that faith or drawn off from his righteous path and now declare that they no longer believe in him or uh, on him. We talked about how there have been 
uh, have even been many nations around the world that were in the past considered a part of Christendom, but that have now denied any association with a Christian heritage and largely ignore their past and have adopted policies very contrary to the Christian faith. Some major colleges and universities that were founded with the goal of training men and women for ministry have in recent years officially declared a disassociation with their Christian heritage. This has been happening even in our own nation, especially in the past 30 to 40 years. The Apostle Paul spoke in several places in the Bible of this falling away. He told Timothy that the Spirit expressly says that in the latter times, some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. You'll find that at 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. He told him that in the last days, and I'm quoting from 1 Timothy, in the last days, perilous times will come. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power. He strongly urged Timothy to faithfully preach God's word. Again, 2 Timothy Verse or chapter four, verses three and four for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. My friend and I agree that we couldn't say for sure that we are living in the time of the great falling away, but we certainly couldn't help but wonder either. It had been earlier that morning that in my personal time in God's word, I read second Thessalonians chapter two. And again, I'm quoting Pastor Greg Allen, who is the pastor of Bethany Bible Church. In that passage, the Apostle Paul warned the believers in Thessalonica not to be deceived by fake letters and false teachings into thinking that the day of the Lord's return had come. He told them, let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first. And the man of sin is revealed. Second Thessalonians chapter two, verse three. Paul went on to describe the career of the Antichrist, the man of perdition who would deceive the whole world. And he said these words, words that it seems to me serve as a very important warning in a season of falling away. The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan with all power, signs and lying wonders and with all unrighteous deception among those who perish because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. And for this reason, God will send them strong delusion that they should believe the lie that they um, all may be condemned who did not believe the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. That's verses nine through twelve. Well, in these words, Pastor Uh, Alan says, I believe we can see how the great apostasy, the falling away, makes its progress in people's lives. There is a discernible pattern. First, there's an attitude of taking pleasure in unrighteousness. There's the belief that even though God said not to do certain things, there is a commitment to do them anyway, because there's such strong social approval of them and such a strong desire for sensual pleasure in them. Second, there is a decision not to believe the truth any longer. God's faithful word tells us the truth about such things. But if that word from God gets its way, uh, in the way of our commitment to take pleasure in unrighteousness, then people will make the willful choice to no longer believe the truth. They will do what it, uh, what it says in Romans 1.18 and actually suppress the truth in unrighteousness. They will not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. 
Pastor Allen goes on. And third, as a response to this sinful choice, God sends them strong delusion. Now think of it. What a horrifying judgment from God. If they reject the truth, they don't then simply live without truth. They are instead handed over by God to deceiving signs and lying wonders with all unrighteous deception among those who perish. As I read this passage, Pastor Allen writes, and I considered this dreadful pattern, I wondered what I could do. And it was then that I read on to Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 13 through 15. But we are bound to give thanks to God always for you, brethren, beloved by the Lord, because God from the beginning chose you for salvation through sanctification by the spirit and belief in the truth to which he called you by our gospel for the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold the traditions which you were taught, whether by word or our epistle. Are we living in the times of the great falling away? Pastor Allen asks the times that immediately precede the appearance of the Antichrist. I don't know. And it is um, it seems very unwise to make any kind of declaration. But whether that time is soon or yet far away, our protection is the same. We must hold on fast to the saving truths God has given us in his sure word. Truths that lead us to faith in Jesus Christ, our Savior, and be sanctified by the Spirit with a love and belief in God's truth. Love that truth. Cling to it. Do not let it go in order to embrace unrighteousness. For as long as we hold on to the truth from God devotedly, we will not fall away. I so appreciate uh, Pastor Greg Allen at Bethany Bible Church. And in fact, if you are looking for a good church home, you might want to check them out. And thank you, Pastor Greg, for sending this on to me, that conversation you had with um, Dan Rice recently. We're out of time. I do want to thank James Blend for producing, Clark Hilton for engineering, although he's home ill today. And thank you for making The Georgine Rice Show part of your day. Have a great night. Thanks for listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. If you'd like to download a podcast of the show or would like more information on today's guests, please visit the show at kpdq.com or on Facebook. Follow the show on Twitter at G. Rice Show and like us on Facebook. And join us live every weekday at 4 for more critical thinking for critical times on 93.9 KPDQ. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.